Hi, I'm Mary. And I'm Bridget. We are the co-founders of the Work Your Worth podcast, where we have transparent conversations about what it takes to uncover and utilize your value at the highest level. Hey guys, welcome back to the Work Your Worth podcast. It's Mary. And Bridget. And we're here with another couch convo. And this week's guest, we have somebody really, really awesome that we're excited to introduce you to. This is Maria. She's making a really great face because she's so happy. (laughs) Um, Maria is the founder of Jasper House, Haiti, and it's a nonprofit organization which offers a transitional restoration home, education, therapy, and job training to young women in Haiti who have left lives of prostitution, exploitation, and abuse. So tell us a little bit about you, Maria. Well, hi. (laughs) I'm Maria. Um, Yeah, so I first moved to Haiti almost five years ago in the fall of 2013. Um, I didn't move there with any intention of starting a nonprofit, just kind of what unfolded over time. Before I had moved to Haiti, I had actually worked with um, a similar women's organization in Oklahoma City and South Africa, working with women coming out of the sex trade and coming out of abuse. And so I knew that that was my biggest passion, but what actually brought me to Haiti was I had a job with a children's organization, a children's program. And so I went to Haiti my first six months, I worked with the children's program and then My contract ended and they invited me to come work in Orlando, but I wanted to stay in Haiti. So I actually moved out to a rural village to go help a friend who was starting a malnutrition clinic just so I could get a more in-depth experience and look of the the country and the culture and get more um, immersion in the language. And it was during my time there that I began to hear about how bad prostitution and sexual abuse and domestic violence towards women in Haiti was and that there were very limited resources available to not only rescue women, but to help them get out and stay out. And so after about a year almost of living in Haiti and learning the language and doing research, I just kind of began to imagine what it would be like to start a holistic program that could truly help not only rescue, but restore and educate these women. And so in January 2015, I moved to a town on the southeast coast called Jacmel, And I began working on starting Jasper House. Wow. That is so amazing. And what an accomplishment. And it's so cool that, I mean, as you know, our podcast is called Work Your Worth. Mm -hmm. And you are working your worth by helping these women. And you are teaching them and giving them the right tools to allow them to in turn work their worth. Exactly, yeah. Which is absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. So... What what were the steps that led you into your mission work? So you said that you started off in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So was it, like, were you in high school or what made you want to get into the mission work? Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, from the time I was nine years old, I knew that I wanted to move overseas one day and do some type of mission focused work. Um, I don't really consider myself a missionary per se because I'm not really doing a lot of religious evangelism or anything Mm -hmm. like that. We're not church planning or passing out Bibles or anything. Mm -hmm. Our work is very um, project driven Mm -hmm. um, and driven by just 
providing support for these women. But when I was nine, yeah, I just knew, I just remember reading stories about missionaries and hearing about people working overseas. And I was like, that's what I want to do when I'm older. And then my dad actually worked for Feed the Children for 10 years when I was, from the time I was in high, junior high all the way through college. And so again, that was just modeled to me, you know, going and helping people that needed aid. And, and so in college, I studied mass communications and international studies because I knew that I wanted to do something that would get me in the door internationally. And so I just volunteered with different organizations and went to Mexico, went to Europe, and then went to South Africa, and then finally the door opened for Haiti. So I guess I just kind of always knew that I wanted to travel, I wanted to work internationally, and whatever I did, I wanted it to help people in some way. Wow, that's awesome. So when you had that, like, such a big vision and, like, that seed was planted in your heart... What were some of like the practical steps that you did, and then what were some of the cool like the cool experience that just happened for you that you really knew this path was really just like laid out for you? I yes. guess Jasper House, Jasper, yeah, specifically. Um, well, like I said, I didn't move to Haiti with any intention of starting a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, but kind of what just began is the pieces just started falling into place because I realized I had. About, at that point, I had about three years of nonprofit experience just from volunteering and working with different organizations. So the structuring of nonprofits kind of came naturally for me because I was already familiar with it. So I knew that I needed to file for my 501c3 and get my articles of incorporation and get a board and figure out a fundraising strategy and donations and all of that. So I already knew kind of the foundational things I needed to do to get a nonprofit started. Um and then just with my vision, it just it just came in very clearly. Um, mm-hmm. As I began to hear about the situations that women were experiencing and there being a lack of resources, it just kind of all fell into place and the puzzles kind of started connecting in my head of, okay, how could I create a culturally sensitive program based on this, in, this information that I have and this experience that I have, plus the cultural experience I now have in Haiti how can I create something that will truly help these women and not just be another program that just hands out food or hands out clothing, but something that really, truly empowers people. And so a lot of my education came from just talking with Haitians and just listening to them and asking them their feedback of like, what do you think would be useful? What would help you the most? What would you, what would you want for your life? And just talking with them and seeing, and that kind of applied with my nonprofit experience, just kind of helped me structure the program in a way that would hopefully set it up for success. And so it seems like it has because we are almost three years in now. And um, we went from eight staff and three women to 17 staff, 13 residents, three children, and 37 students. So we've expanded from just a residential program to residential and educational as well. So we have our 37 students are women from the local community of Jacmel who come that um, either never received an education or left school at an early age and are now adults and wanting to go back and get their education, but doing it in an empowering and safe environment because in Haiti, there are no adult alternative schools. So if you're 22 years old and you have a third grade level of education and you want to go back to school, you have to go back with kids. So we created an environment where these women could come and learn with people their age and not be embarrassed or discriminated against because... They never finished their education. And so we created that part of the program as well as the restorational transition home for women that are leaving the most dangerous and vulnerable situations. So um, that side of the program will always be a little bit smaller because we never want women to feel institutionalized. Mm-hmm. We always wanted to feel like more of a home. 
but we plan to continue to grow and expand the education because we feel like that's what's going to be able to reach even more women than just the residential home and save that for the most severe cases because we truly believe that when you educate a woman, you educate people. Like when you educate a girl, you can change the world. And so that's what we believe in is that in educating these women, they'll be able to make decisions. It goes beyond so much more than just that individual woman because now that woman will be able to have an education and have a job. So that means she'll be able to keep her children and not have to put them in orphanages or institutionalize them. She'll be able to stay out of abusive relationships, stay off the street, which will lower disease spreading, which is lower crime. So it affects so many different mm-hmm. factors than just that one individual's life. And so that's why we truly, we put such a heavy emphasis on the education because we feel like out of everything that we do, that's the piece that's going to be able to affect lives at the greatest rate and have the largest reach. Mm-hmm. I have chills right now just (laughs) listening to you speak because what you're doing is just so important and so necessary. And I mean, how you wanted, how you walked into this with cultural sensitivity in mind Mm -hmm. and how you went about this in just such a smart and thoughtful way that truly made it about them and the people that you are serving and not at all about you. And I just think that's, that's just so cool and <laughs> so special. So you have the Jasper House, which is a transitional house for these mm-hmm. women. And then in addition to that, you have the school. Mm-hmm. So what does the process look like for a woman who is entering the transitional house? Where do you find these women? Do you go to them? Do they come to you? And what is their transitional process like? Um, so with the women that coming into staying in the home... Uh, We work with the local police department as well as other um, like-minded foundations and organizations that are geared towards marginalized people, particularly women. And so when they find cases that they feel would fit our criteria, such as prostitution, um, HIV positive, abandonment, homelessness, abuse, all of that, they contact us and then we have our psychologists perform a case study and an intake evaluation in order to determine the true cause of this woman's situation and all of the factors and determine whether or not she's the right fit for our program. Uh, We try to avoid going and looking for women, so to speak, because we feel like that sets us up for for failure because then it puts people in a position where they feel like they need to lie so they can get something for free. So if we're more ambiguous in that way and we go through other channels such as other organizations and other foundations and the police department, they kind of do that vetting process for us and then they just send us the cases that we can review and then determine whether or not they need to be admitted into our home. Okay. That's smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't always do it that way. In the beginning, we were kind of the bleeding hearts that were like, anybody that needs help and Mm kind of had a few cases where we got a little bit taken advantage of in the beginning, but now we've kind of streamlined that and tightened it up a little bit so that way we're the right people who truly need our services are getting that care Mm -hmm. and the people who don't aren't. So, What are the services that you are offering? So what is a day in a life for a girl who just has entered your house? So for the residents... um, they, we have a pretty strict schedule for them from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. They are on a schedule. So they wake up early, like 5 or 6 in the morning. They do their chores. They make breakfast. They get ready for school. Um, then they have school from 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. At, at our facility. Or, I'm sorry, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., not 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah, so 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. They have school. Then we have lunch, and we provide them lunch. This girls, the residents and the students get lunch every single day. 
And then in the afternoon from 1 to 4, they have their vocational classes of culinary arts, sewing and design, and art and jewelry making. Um, and then in the evenings, they make dinner. They have kind of like a discussion group time, like a devotional time to all together with the house moms. And then they just have quiet time, and then we go to bed and go to bed. So... Wow. Yeah, it's just kind of, we really try to emphasize that family atmosphere. Um, family is really huge in Haiti and within Haitian culture. Um, they're very, very family oriented. And so having these women that have either been abandoned by their families or taken away from their families for some reason, we try to create that sense of home and family for them because we know how important that is to their developmental um, process and mm-hmm. their healing process as well. Knowing that they're safe, knowing that they're loved and accepted just as they are really, truly expedites their healing process mm-hmm. as well. What's the average age of um, somebody going that's either, I guess, education or yeah. uh, is living in uh, We try to primarily work with women ages 18 to 30. Okay. Um, we have gone older and a little bit younger. We try not to go any too much younger than 17, 18, just because our program really isn't designed for children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's designed for women. But there have been severe cases where we've taken 16, 17-year-olds just because of safety reasons and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And with the students, we will go over the age of 30. Well, we have a student, I think that's our oldest student right now is like 34 or 35. Um, But again, our our program is really designed for younger women that want to kind of take their life back and still have the opportunity to like finish school and be able to start a business. And so women, once you get past like early to mid-30s, they're kind of beyond that point, and then anything younger than 18 is kind of too young, so mm-hmm. we kind of try to keep it in that gap. Awesome. So, where did you come up with the name for Jasper House? What yeah. is Jasper? <laughs> um, so, Jasper, actually, there's kind of twofold. Um, first, there's um, a verse in the Bible, in the book of Revelations, that actually talks about um, the Jasper Stone, and the Jasper Stone being... Um, kind of like on the gates of heaven, like this rare and precious stone as you like enter heaven. Um, and then the word jasper specifically means to polish, and the jasper stone represents protection, healing, and strength for victims of sexual trauma. So kind of all of those meanings wrapped up into one meaning that these women are, are priceless gems, they have a precious worth and value, and that through restoration and healing, and they'll be able to be transformed and be polished to be able to recognize that worth and that value and find protection and healing and strength. Wow. That's beautiful. Really is. <laughs> I, I want to wear a Jasper stone now. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have jewelry that has some Jasper yeah. stones in it, so yeah. So going back to that, don't you guys, there was that girl who was at our table the other night. The other night, um, there was a Jasper House event that my husband and I went to, and that Maria hosted, and it was beautiful. And there was a girl at our table named Natalie. Yep. And she designs clothes and jewelry yep. for Jasper House. Mm-hmm. Do you want to? Yeah, so Natalie that? Keys, um, at Natalie Keys. Check her <laughs> out on Instagram or at Funkies Clothing. She is beautiful. <laughs> she is, and she's an even more beautiful person on the inside. You can tell. Um, she and I partnered together almost three years ago, um, because we wanted to create a vocational program and social business that would be able to employ our women. And so we created Rise and Empower, which is the social business with sell selling platform for the jewelry and the clothing that our women learn to make, um, to be able to provide them long-term employment and job sustainability. And so we actually just launched that website. So it's riseandempower.com or at Rise and Empower on Instagram. 
where you can see some of the clothing and the jewelry that our women have been making that are now available for purchase. And so we try to use mostly recycled or ethically locally sourced materials for all of our clothing and jewelry to kind of continue that same mission to you know, take care of the earth and empower people so we're not going to purchase things that are made in sweatshops and, and that yeah. sort of thing. So continuing our empowerment model. Um, and so that's another part of the program that we offer. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm so excited. That's, that's such a cool thing because number one, you're giving them a skill, you're creating a source of income, something that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I grew up in a missions focused house too. And it was very much, um, focused on business as missions and so I think that's something that we don't really, not many people get the concept. You know, we went on mission trips as kids and thought, mm-hmm. wow, we're just such great people. We built a church. We did mm-hmm. VBS. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just I see now as an adult the sustainability factor. And it sounds like what you guys are doing definitely has that side of it. And it's mm-hmm. cool. It's cool to hear Thank about. You. Yeah. Yeah, we try to do missions a little bit differently where – as we think about that long-term mm-hmm. effect that it has and and not just what can we accomplish today, but what does the work that we do today, how does that affect tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Which is why we try to think about every single way that we can be sustainable because we want to be able to be here tomorrow and the next day and next month and mm-hmm. next year and the year after that too. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think are some misconceptions that people have about nonprofit world or maybe even what you're doing? if there are any at all. Um, or maybe just a misconception that they have about Haiti. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think in regards to Haiti specifically, because that's more of trajectory that I can speak from, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people just, when they think of Haiti or they see Haiti, all that's really been promoted in media is suffering and sadness and poverty and depression and despair and opposition and and while that very much exists in Haiti I mean it is true there was a horrific earthquake eight years ago there have been hurricanes and floods and there is government corruption and there is extreme poverty and all of that is true but the thing is is that that doesn't mean that there aren't people worth investing in and there aren't there that we shouldn't because a lot of what has gotten Haiti to where it is today is because of the way that foreign aid has been handled and and because it's been done on just a disaster basis which is coming in and filling an immediate need instead of thinking about what would affect and what would create change long term a lot of people for many years haven't thought that way so they've just followed this kind of instructional rule book of what of missions that has how it's been done forever and just in the last several years have people been stopping and saying wait a second I don't think this is working I don't think coming in and just putting a band-aid on a bullet wound is really going to stop anything or heal anything and so now programs and nonprofits that are starting now are starting to think more that way and they're starting to think long term and they're starting to think with a sustainability model in mind and truly empowering people too as well, like investing in your local community, investing in local leaders and helping them become, rise to their full potential to, to know their worth. And if you only have foreigners coming in all the time doing all the important jobs, well, what's going to happen when everybody leaves? That whole program is going to come crumbling down and all of that support and funding that it once had is just going to go down the drain. And so creating something that can be without 
reliance upon a foreign entity that may or not always be there is I think what is key in supporting developing countries like Haiti is that investing in the local community, utilizing local goods, utilizing local resources, local leadership, local labor, um, and creating it, doing it within your means, doing it within your budget. I mean, if you only have $10,000 a month, then you don't create a budget that operates two or three times as that, mm-hmm. you know, if you only have the money for rent for the year, don't go buy land to build, you know, half a million dollar building. And I think that's what a lot of people have, have done in Haiti for a long time is they've bitten off more than they can chew without cultural sensitivity, without immersion in the language or the culture. And so they don't understand how things work and they just come in with a very westernized mentality which is automatically setting you up to fail because you're trying to bring an outside source into a foreign country that doesn't operate that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why people have the idea of Haiti that they do that oh it's this black hole that all this money gets poured into and no results ever come out of it. Well, it's because people keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And so in order to get a different result, you need to do things differently. And so that's why we structured Jasper House the way that we did and why all of our staff is Haitian and why we operate at the capacity we do because we want to be able to continue to operate and continue to provide the care for women that we do without diving in deeper than we should go. Um, and so I think that the going back to the question about misconception is it's easy to believe that Haiti is not worth investing in. It's easy to believe that it's always going to be an impoverished country that has no hope. But I don't really believe that that's the case because there's people in that country that believe that it can be different and believe that tomorrow can change and can be better. Um, and those people are the people that are worth investing in. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> that's such a cool perspective. And thank you for sharing that because... I mean, I've never done mission work or anything like that. It's something that I would like to do eventually. I always say eventually, but I never actually do it. It is truly (laughs) something that I would like to do, though. And so thank you for that perspective Mm -hmm. and for that information. And I think that's something that's really important to share and that a lot of people need to hear. Because, I mean, going there, cleaning up, building a house, that, that sounds great. However... It needs to be deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think just to add to that too, it's like whenever we see some a problem, we see something that hurts, we hurt for people, we automatically want to be like the savior and mm-hmm. come up with a solution and do something mm-hmm. to, I mean, our intentions are always very good, but at the end of the day, it's to make us feel better. Exactly. Like we did something. Yeah. It's like exactly. that desire to check, check box, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like even hearing this story, it's like, you get that instant feeling of, I need to be there. I need to take away those hurts. And it's like, that's not the real, as mm-hmm. much as like that. And so mm-hmm. it's, I think there's an education, um, a need for education for people like us that are privileged that have never lived the lives of the Haitian women. And then to know what to do with those feelings of absolute, like we're infuriated to hear yeah. about their situation. And so I think that's, so what should people do instead of, Mm-hmm. Well, I need to just pour money here or I need to go find a mission. Mm-hmm. Like what should people do with that? I think like I've heard the term like holy discontent. Like mm-hmm. what do you do when you see something yeah. like that? How can you actually um, yeah. make an impact? Well, I think I appreciate you saying that 
people's immediate response of I should go, or I should do this, or they have good intentions, but it's because they want to feel better about themselves. I think that's the first thing that needs to be addressed is when you suddenly feel like, oh, I need to do something. Okay, why? Mm -hmm. Where's your motivation coming from? And if it's coming from a place that's ultimately selfish and prideful because you want to be um, you want to be praised, you want to be accoladed for the work that you're doing, then you need to stop and really ask yourself if this is truly what you're supposed to do because it is a brutal, gruesome job to move to a third world country or developing country rather and invest in a culture and a language and a people that's completely different than anything you've been raised around or brought up to understand. And there's a lot of racism that you have to get past from in being an outsider in this world world that is foreign to you and so it's not a walk in the park at all and hey he's beautiful I mean I live in a beautiful place where there's beaches and palm trees and stuff like that but there's definite challenges I mean the modern conveniences that we have like I joke that I'm not used to AC anymore and it's true like I don't have air conditioning in my house I don't have um a washer and dryer I don't have a dishwasher I don't even have 24-hour power all of the time um and so things like that you you don't take into consideration how much of a culture shock and how much of an adjustment it's going to be to get on a plane and move to a developing world and so that's why I don't that's that would not be the avenue that I would say everybody should or needs to take because not everybody needs needs to get on a plane and move to Haiti or Guatemala or Bangladesh or Kenya or wherever. Um, number the second thing I would say number two would be education is key. If you are truly feeling drawn to a certain country or a certain cause or a certain people group or a certain marginalized um, demographic, educate yourself on that. Look up blogs and podcasts and books and resources and organizations that are geared towards. If it's women, if it's children, if it's HIV, if it's clean water, if it's education, if it's med- if it's healthcare, whatever it is, look for grassroots organizations that you can partner with. Okay, like don't immediately shoot for the Red Cross and the United Way and the Salvation Army and the big name people that we've heard about our whole lives. Like look for the grassroots people that can show you financial records, that can show you the return on your investment that can show you exactly where your money is going and how it's being used. And second, and third, don't discount financial support. I mean, all nonprofits and especially grassroots programs, majority of us, I mean, Jasper House specifically, we're not funded by any larger organization or NGO or any type of entity like that. Like we're completely funded on the generosity and donations of normal people just like you. So don't take the route to think like, oh, well, my $15 a month or my $25 or whatever it is, isn't really making a difference because that's not true. I mean, that if everybody thought that way, then we would never, these programs would never get funded. And so that is a very tangible, immediate way that you can provide help. If you do find a program like Jasper House or something that touches on your heart about a, you know, dealing with a subject or an issue that is really important to you, that's the first way you can support them is figure out what you can do financially, whether it's you want to give on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis or whatever it is, figure out how you can support them financially because I can guarantee you that every single nonprofit, that's the number one thing that they're going to need. And then lastly, if you want to go beyond that, if you're just like, okay, I found Jasper House, I'm really excited, I'm supporting this woman's organization, I'm giving $25 a month 
whatever it is, I just want to take that next step. Reach out, send an email, follow on social media, post about it on your social media, tell your church, your friend group, your church groups, your coffee groups, your yoga groups, whatever it is. Get other people involved. Be like, I found this great organization, Jasper House Haiti. They're empowering women in Haiti. Like, you should follow them. You should buy their jewelry. You should become a monthly partner. You should subscribe to their newsletters. And then even beyond that, if you really feel like there's more, find out what volunteer opportunities there may be. Maybe there's, maybe you don't even have to get on a plane. Maybe there's something you can do locally. Maybe there is a trip opportunity that you can take in the future to, if you really want to like see it. But I wouldn't take that first. That would, I would say that physically going to that country, whether it's Haiti to visit Jasper House or, you know, Uganda to visit wherever, first start with education, then figure out who you can trust, who you want to support Support them financially in whatever capacity you can. Share about them with your local community. And then contact them for any further volunteer help that you can that, that you can give. But yeah, don't discount what support through advocacy and awareness and financial support, what how much that, that can help. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. And that's helpful too for people who like there's people that haven't like they may not have resources and aren't able to do that, but being an advocate, talking about your cause, like there's so much power in social media today for good and for bad. And so if we use it for good, I think they're like, what a great opportunity, even just something like that. And you wouldn't think of that at first. Like, again, just our initial, there's something in our like DNA that tells us, mm-hmm. no, you need to do this. And it's very much, I think, stemmed from this like selfish, selfishness. Yeah. I think too with social media yeah it's easy to share an article I could anyone could share an article about Jasper House and not say anything else other than just share a link however if you are truly passionate about something just like this organization and you put your own caption on it you put your own words into it mm-hmm. that'll draw your followers yeah. and the people that you know into it yeah. that'll show so much and that is so much it is so simple to do and it is so much more valuable than just sharing a link when you're sharing Mm -hmm. links Mm -hmm. for these organizations tell people why you love it Mm -hmm. because so many other people want to love what you love yeah that's so true and that drives me crazy too Mm -hmm. when people just share links and there's no explanation I'm like what am I supposed to do why yeah why am I supposed to click on this link but yeah if you do put your own words and you're like hey everybody this is this awesome organization that I just found about Jasper House this is what they do you should check them out like follow them you know, figure out if you can maybe support financially, whatever it is, like, yeah, put your own words and let your community know why this matters mm-hmm. to you and why it should matter to them too. Yeah. yeah. I love that. People follow you because they like you and they like what you have to say and they're interested. Mm-hmm. So let them know what you're passionate about, any organization. Mm-hmm. So going back to that again, when it comes to Jasper House, what are some of your needs right now? Mm-hmm. Well, going back to the monthly financial company, that's our biggest need. Um, we are always in need of more monthly sponsors, which you can go on our website to jasperhousehaiti.org slash sponsorship, and it outlines the different sponsorship tiers and what each amount of money can provide for our women. Um, and we, we understand. We have a gamut. You know, We have people who can afford $200 a month, and then we can have people that can afford $10 a month. And so, But having an idea of what that money is going towards, outlining it, okay, if I give $25 a month, that's providing a hot meal every day for a girl in the school, or that's providing 
um, part of her tuition or her supplies or whatever it is. Like, you don't have to be a super wealthy person to support. You know, you don't have to be. We're not only looking for people that can write, you know, thousands of dollars of check, thousands of dollars in checks. I mean, that'd be amazing, but <laughs> but I get that the average person can't do that, and so we try to put it in digestible terms where any person that's you know in a moderate income, you know, middle class, whatever, can be like, okay, I can, you know, I can work $25. I can cut out Starbucks a couple times a month to support Jasper House or whatever it is. Um, So that's, that's a big thing that we need. We also really need a vehicle. So if there are people that are maybe wanting to do um, maybe more of like a one-time gift or like a larger gift, we could, we are um, in need of a vehicle and that's a, a larger expense. It's about anywhere from twenty-five dollars to $30,000 just because we need um, like a 15-passenger van that's safe and reliable. and can tr- That's um, basically like our busing system that will take our women to and from class so they can get to school. So that's a bigger need that we have. And then just following our pages and sharing our stories and sharing our link and getting the word out there and buying our products, sharing our products, reposting, all of that helps um, by increasing our reach, increasing our followers. And, you know, our goal is to be all over the nation, you know, to where people all over the country know about Jasper House and are following and supporting. So getting that word out as much as possible is always really helpful. Wow. Well, I'm excited. I feel like this is something, when we started this podcast, we didn't really know where it was going to go. And it's cool to see that, like just the whole thing of working at work and finding organizations and partnership like that. And it goes back, we talk about social media all the time on this podcast and it's like, Here's just another way that you're already doing it. You're looking for tips. Share more about stuff that matters. So, I don't know. Any other last questions that you have, Bridget? Well, I just also wanted to say, so the jewelry is super, super cute. And another good idea would be to not just purchase the jewelry for yourself. Purchase the jewelry for other people. So what yeah. I did the other night is I bought a bunch of Christmas presents. So smart. <laughs> because it'll bring it'll gain aware it'll help gain awareness. Yeah. And That's then awesome. and then when you hand them out to someone, it's more than just a gift. It's a gift that is giving to others. You're gonna feel good about it. The people who are receiving it are gonna feel great about wearing it. They're going to feel something when it comes to the cause too. And it just it'll have the trickle down effect. And of course, it's not about what makes you feel good. You truly are helping the woman of Haiti mm-hmm. by purchasing these. Mm-hmm. And they're super cute. The clothing is super cute, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, like, super excited to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, for sure. Um, so just a heads up, with the online orders, because of the location and everything, it is going to take about six to eight weeks right now to get okay. everything out. Um, so it's, we're kind of doing more, like, pre-orders. But please go and place your orders. We are accepting them. Um And another thing too, if you guys are small business owners or boutique owners or have, you know, aunts or cousins or moms or whoever that have boutiques and small businesses that would be interested in making wholesale purchases to retail in their stores, we would love to talk to them. So that's another way that you can contact us or help get involved is by connecting your local stores or boutiques or whatever it is that would want to carry items that are, is not only fashionable and cute and stylish but that's for a good cause and it's empowering women as well awesome you're amazing (laughs) seriously thank you for squeezing us in of course on your last day here no problem (laughs) we appreciate you and um thank you for just 
yeah, being here and encouraging us all to keep working our work. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. And one last time, where can, where, what is the link that people can go to in order to donate or just get them? Yeah. So, um, again, so jasperhousehaiti.org slash donate is the link and that's our website and our donation link. And then for the clothing and the jewelry, it's riseandempower.com. Awesome. Well, everybody, go check it out. Order your gifts. Order order your order. <laughs> Let's Call get Jasper House a car. Yes. yes. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Work Your Worth podcast. Hey, just like go over to the iTunes store, like, subscribe, and rate us. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.